to Idiots Talk History. I'm your host, Lana, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Matt. Hello. Um, Thank you for listening today, as always. um, If you haven't listened to our little show before, we like to do topics from history and report on them. We tend to choose a theme. Uh, which links a couple of little reports together. Today's theme is... Mammals. Which we decided about 30 seconds ago. Yep. Which was... Um, was animals, but that was thought to be too vague. It was thought to be too vague by one half of our team, me. Um, <laughs> but mammals, I'm not sure if that's any better. We basically well, have two yeah. stories which are very different. Both about mammals. Both in history. Wow. What more could you want? This has been a great introduction. Yep, so... Do you, do you want, want me to go first? Yeah, oh, yeah. Do you want to kick off or do you want me to kick off? I'll kick off. Okay. Because I think yours might be a bit nicer than mine. Um, mine's a little bit sad, actually. Mine's a little bit horrible, so I'll okay, get Okay, you, you crack on. So. So Lauren's um, going to tell us a little story. I'm going to tell the story of Old Tom. Oh, okay. That's the name of this mammal. Right. Um, so in the 19th century, an orca, which is a killer whale, okay. lived a very interesting life in Australia. Um... Whales are usually a species... How do you say that word? A species. Yes, a species that was um, subject to whaling, but this whale, in fact, helped Whales do are the subject hunting. to whaling. Subject to being hunted. Can any other whale, any other animals be whaled? No. No, but what do you call... Well, Dolphins. There's not other... Yeah, but there's not like foxed, is the... the no, spot, it's, it's just, just fox hunting. Yeah, whaling. But I think whaling because it's a specific kind... Do dolphins come under whaling, or is that just hunting? No, it's because of what the whales were needed for. Oh, I think they were okay. needed the the blubber and the fat as yeah. forms of oil and it... like um things like that. Is Whereas, it... oh sorry, no, no, okay. I was just going to say that when oil became began to be mined and became more readily available, whaling was needed less because oh, we'd okay. get that resource from oil. Uh, did they used to use? Is this a myth? They used to use whale blubber in chewing gum. Oh, Never I'm not made. sure about that one. I think whale blubber's in a lip balm. Oh, really? Is it actually There's stuff? some form of... Yeah, lipstick it used to be used. Oh, okay. But now I think oil can fill that Yeah. That role. So whaling's not used as much. And also, a lot of species ne- species nearly ended up extinct. So Because of this. I've seen yeah. a film about whaling. I've seen a couple of films about whaling. I've seen a film called The Cove. Oh, is that not about ago. dolphins? Yes. I think it's got Great. whales in it. Oh, maybe okay. it's just dolphins, actually. What's your other one? Um, I don't know. Oh, okay. I thought blackfish, but I realise that's not whaling either, um, is it? To an extent, it's got some in there, because it shows mm. how they captured the whales. Is it, was it, is it, ha- what? <laughs> is it, was it, is it, was it? Is it a major issue, Um, was it like Norway or Scandinavia and then in Japan? Were they the two sort of main countries? Yeah, I think so. And I think, I think Japan are the ones who say the, the, like, when everybody else stopped, I think Japan carried on. Right. Norway were particularly bad as well. Is it Norway? But no. I'm talking about Australia today. Okay. Not Iceland. Or is it Norway? I'm not sure. Okay. Might have been Iceland as well, but I definitely know Norway, Norway. and Japan. Right, okay. Bad eggs. Okay. Um, not in everything. Not, just at this, not all of you. Just Norway, at this time. Sorry, Norway and Japan. Um, so, old Tom was eighteen okay. hundreds. Um, interesting because whilst other whales are being hunted, this um, whale, old Tom, and his pod helped do the hunting. 
do whales not normally hunt other hunt or other whales? Yeah, so orcas in the wild do hunt other whales and they like play with the food as well, which a lot of people don't like, but they wouldn't usually help a boat kill oh, whales. Right. So they had like a relationship. Oh, that's so, strange. Um, according to an Australian legend, a 10,000 year pact was made between killer whales and aborigines called the Law of the Tongue. Right. And they spilt the relationship. So um, Barry Smith, who's a historian, thought that the local aborigines had col- uh, collaborated with the killer whales for over 10,000 years. Um, aborigines thought that these mammals were the reincarnations of dead ancestors. And that's you why they were that, helping them. A lot of people think that about different animals, don't they? Yeah, I think so. Um, so as part of the law of the tongue, killer whales would herd pods to Aboriginal whalers. Um, and this took place in what's known as the coast of Eden in Twofold Bay. Good so that's what it's known as now, Twofold Bay. I don't know what it was known as at the time. Um, Eden's a coastal town just over 470 kilometres south of Sydney, which is in Australia. Yes. Uh, it was originally occupied by the indigenous Thawa people of the Yuin Nation. Okay. I'm intrigued by the pact. How do Aboriginal people and um, whales come collaborate. to have a pact? I don't know how the pact exists, but I know they've got, they collaborate, and I'll tell you how they collaborate. Okay. Um, I don't know how it's a pact. Is it like, we'll have a meeting... Be there half three. Maybe it's like we spoke to the spirits of the whales. I'll they get my said. people to speak to your people. Yeah, and then and, the uh, spirits go and chat and come back and say. Say, the whales said. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> what did like, they say? You heard me. <laughs> um, I, I also think that we're, we're quite cynical, so we would never be like, yeah, how can you have a pact with an I animal? Chat with blah, blah, blah. Yeah, like, there you go. This is a perfect example, like me and you doing this, whereas I think... Indigenous people have a different way of life. They have to- they're very spiritual. They have yeah. a different. They're not cynics I like have us. No spirit. No, no, you do. But I just think we were brought up in a very Westernized society. Yes. We base very everything on like well. technology, like organizations. Everything's like structured. Whereas they were very free spirits in a way. Mm. So they might have a pact. We don't know. Okay. Also, they might just believe they do. Yes. Um, so, in 1840, European settlers took over the area of Eden, um, and it became a major whaling spot for Europeans during the early 19th century. Europeans. So from then. Always coming in. But the Aboriginal people were already whaling. Right, Don't okay. get me wrong. Because they've already got this pact with the whales. Yeah. Um, so, to develop the whaling business, carpenter Alexander Davidson and his grandson, known as Fearless George Davidson... Um, built a small whaling station. This was on the southern shore of Twofold Bay, about seven kilometres away. Um, the bay is the third deepest natural harbour in the southern hemisphere and it's still recognised as one of 12 coastal aggregation areas for southern right whales. Right. Do you want to crack at that Latin name? Eubelina australis. And that's the name of the whales? Yeah. What was, um, I'm sorry, okay. Just, I was this. just going to say that Twofold Bay was therefore the perfect place to set up shop. Yeah. Going back to Fearless George. Yeah, Davidson. Davidson. What would your uh, My nickname, nickname be? be? We had to do this the other day. So while I was youth working the other day, we had to introduce ourselves with a let- um, an adjective to describe us that matched the letter of our first name. And then yes, you had to yes. say 
why you were that. But obviously, I wanted to say like lovely, but you can't go lovely Lola, Lorna Lola. because I'm lovely. My mum so, calls you that. I know, but <laughs> I know. <laughs> no, no, but I can't be like yeah, I'm lovely. So instead, I had to say Looney Lorna because sometimes oh. I get very excited. Right. What right. would you say? Um, Obviously, I'd, if I could pick other words, I'd pick other words. Like maybe creative Lorna. Modest Matt. Good one. Mild-mannered Matt. <laughs> Neither of them describe you. Wow. Majestic. Oh, wow. Marvellous. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad you said anyone to say. Um... You don't have to pick one with just your letter. Oh, Go no, I have anything. done. No, I've done. Um, no, I think... but, but his was Fearless George. Oh, no. My... So that's the F E F G. So you need to pick one um, L, <laughs> and I need to pick one K. E F. Okay. F G. So he's got Fearless George. So he's got one from the letter this before. Is tough. So oh, K is really tough. What is K? Help me out. You need to do L. So you could say lovable. Uh yeah, I think I'm quite lovable. Lovable Matt. Now help me. Um. I'm going to say adjective. I'm going to just have a search. Keen. <laughs> no. I can't even spell adjectives. I don't want keen. <laughs> What's beginning? <laughs> I'm supposed to say beginning. Sorry, I'm just having a, a malfunction. A senior moment. With my typing. Senior. What about? Kinkly. Um, that's a keen. That's a good one. I don't want keen. Keen bean. Kind. Kind. Thank kind. People were shouting that. Kind hearted. <laughs> Korean, Korean is one is. option that's come up from. <laughs> Korean Lorna Barry. Adjective starting dot com. Thank you. But anyway. I'm glad we've we've done that. Anyway. Kind Lorna and. Uh, lovable Matt. Lovable obviously. Matt. There we go. Um. So when we set up our shop, obviously not in the whaling business. Not whaling. Business. No. That's what we're doing now. Now. Yeah. Just putting it out there into the world. <laughs> By 1860, the Davidsons had established what would become the longest-running shore-based whaling station in Australia. She's a pretty successful business. Each year, as autumn moved to winter, a population of orcas would migrate from Antarctic waters to Eden in search of food. Initially, these orcas were written off as a nuisance, always getting in the way, um, but their attitudes changed when they hired a number of Ewing locals to join their whaling crews. Indigenous locals have been hunting uh, baleen whales in the bay for thousands of years. So as I said, they already did some hunting, but not on the scale of whaling, like massive whaling. Um, So they'd, indigenous people had developed a unique relationship with the orcas. The whalers, so the Davidsons took advice from the indigenous crew members. um, And basically what happened was they would harpoon the whales and then they would let the orcas eat what they wanted and then they would take the rest right, so it's a bit okay. of a bit of a sharing bit of a sharing situation not very nice though no. um old tom back to old tom oh, on topic yeah. he was the most famous of these killer whales he spent almost four decades helping fishermen catch baleen whales off the coast of australia so 40 years he was there well it, whales live for a long time don't they? yeah um old tom and other orcas in his pod would notify whalers of a particular particular location where the whales were um, and they would use a lot of noise and splashing Oi, he's over here <laughs> um, Old Tom had a personality of his own, sometimes um, hanging on to be pulled oh. on by the pulled along by the Lazy. whalers um, and he would 
drag things around as well and he was known as the leader of the pods of the whalers so he was a very distinct character right. um and i put old tom became a local celebrity oh really yeah so a lot of people in the area knew knew of him and knew what he like that he was the leader of this killer whale right. pod who helped the whalers um three generations of the davidson family um whalers honored this arrangement um, and it's rumoured that the crew would help orcas when they were trapped in nets and they would orcas would also drive away sharks. So they were oh. like helping each other out, really, which is quite cute. Interesting. I don't know if cute's the right word. They're killing whales. Yeah, but they have a good relationship with, with these the orcas, ones. Yeah, okay. But then a lot of people have issues with orcas because they do a lot of killing of other whales themselves. So that's the food chain, isn't it? It is the food chain. I think that's just different. tough to watch. It's like if you watch um, giraffes fighting on David Attenborough, because that is something else. Well, they hate each other, don't they? Yeah, honestly. That's good. that's life as well. Yeah. You wouldn't expect a giraffe to fight, would you? No. No? So. Killer whales, though. I do. Yeah. I really like, I really like them. Good. They get a bad reputation. Um, According to the Sydney Morning Herald report um, in about 1923, a local retired pastoralist called John Logan went out on the water in Twofold Bay with Fearless George. Um, when old Tom saw the little fishing boat, he drove a small whale to the surface nearby to help them. Um, and the next part of the story, a rumour to, to go like this, so this, this is from um, the historian Barry Smith. So he says that... Um, Logan, the pastoralist, saw a storm come in and he said, George, this, to Phyllis George, George, this might be the last whale we get all season and if you leave it to old Tom, the killer whale, you'll lose it. Um, so George said, what about old Tom? Like, we need to look out for him. And the pastoralist said, forget old Tom. Right. Um, so there was a tug of war between Logan and old Tom and it led to old Tom losing a couple of teeth, which is a shame. I'm imagining like an old man. Who, old Tom? Old Tom, the yeah. killer whale. A killer whale. Um, so, Logan was a former military uh, veterinarian, so he knew exactly what he was doing. Um, and he also knew what a bunch of missing teeth would mean for old Tom while he was in the wild. Oh, not good. So, immediately, he regretted what he did. Oh. So, um... The holes in Tom, Tom's gums became infected and he starved to death. But this was seven years later, so he managed to live on. Starved for seven years? No, no. He no. will have been able to eat, but it less must have got less. so... Yeah, and if his gums are infected, oh. got really bad. So on Thursday, September 18th, 1930, the Sydney Morning Herald reported the death of one of the most eccentric celebrities of New South Wales. Whoa. Old Tom. Um, the paper described him as the king of the far-famed pack of twofold bay killers and the last of his tribe. Oh. He was um, seven metres or 22 feet long, which is a short length for a killer whale. Big boy, though. Still massive, but short for a killer whale, apparently, and he weighed six tonnes. He was estimated um, to be at least 70, possibly 80 or 90 when he died. Good innings. That is a long time. Um, old Tom's affectionately remembered and his skeleton is still preserved at the Eden Killer Whale Museum. Oh, that's good. His death led directly to the creation of this museum and John Logan, the pastoralist, the one, um, he provided the premises for the museum partly out of guilt. Oh. So apparently his daughter reported that immediately he was like, what have I done? Oh. Which is sad. Um, 
soon after his death, old Tom's pod stopped appearing in Twofold Bay. Um, perhaps it was late- related to his death, but another theory is that they got caught by Norwegian whalers. Oh, right. And got hunted down in Jervis Bay, which is 300 kilometres up the coast. Oh. Which is a bit sad, really. Sorry about the sad, sad one. topic. But it is quite interesting. How did you find out about old Tom, the celebrity whale? Um, I don't really know, to be honest. It is a strange story. There's quite a few celebrity whales, though. A recent celebrity whale is the beluga whale that was in the Thames last week. Last week? Mm-hmm, yeah. Is that not bad for it? Highly likely. Yeah. Should probably not be there. No. But there's quite a few whales. So there's the other. There's one called Migaloo, who's the... Um, a humpback whale who's all white so he's an albino humpback whale right. and it was thought that he was the only one but recently um like not long ago in recent years there was a picture of a baby humpback albino whale Aww. and there's another one called mocha dick which is who in this true story of the whale who inspired moby dick right is he not dead though <coughs> yeah that happened a long time yeah. ago but the whale who inspired the, the story right. was called mocha dick I bet Moby Dick's a good book to read. I think I would enjoy it. Um, but I think it might be sad because I think it might be about whalers. Mm. Good story, though. Sad story. Sad one. My story. Not about whales. Should I crack on? Yes, please. It's about um, a human's relationship with animals. You mentioned... It's kind of this one. Yeah, maybe that's what our topic should have been. Humans and wait, animals. Well, it's not too late to change it. We don't know. Um, so I just um, immediately say animals that I thought about um, people who grew up with animals yep. in the wild. And you sort of, uh, if you give it a Goog, you'll see that, give it a Google, you'll see that there are a number of stories of throughout history of people growing up with animals in the wild for one reason or other. Um, some are more believable than others. Uh, and I've got a story here of a 20th century uh, one. There's quite a lot, quite a number in uh, France actually in, in sort of the 18th, 17, 18th centuries. But this one I thought was quite, I don't know, quite sad maybe. Hmm. And it's about the, um, I think this was the BBC maybe, uh, coined the phrase the Wolfman of Sierra Moreno. Moreno, mm. sorry. His name was Marcus Rodriguez Pantoja mm-hmm. and he was born on June the 8th, 1946 in the village of Enora in Andalusia. Andalusia. That's what I said, Andalusia. Thank you. I don't know how you say that actually. He was born in a squat to parents Melchor and Arachelli. Arachelli? Yeah, they're cool names. Uh, and they also had two other children, two other boys. Um, and they were living in 1946 Spain, so it was a civil war. and made, uh, made their life very hard. And the family moved to Madrid looking for work. Aricelli unfortunately passed away. And oh, was Melchor, that the dad or the mum? That mom? was the mum, I think. Right, because I can't get a vibe on if the names are male or female well, for me. Melchor found it difficult to cope. That was the father. Oh. He uh, he met another woman and basically they sort of split up the family. So one of the children went to um, Barcelona to live with some other family. Why would you split up the family? I don't know. Maybe they'd give them better lives. Not sure. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, and then 
Another one was left in Madrid, but Melchor took Marcos, who's our boy, uh, with him uh, as they went south to Cardenia. Cardena. At the age of four, Marcos was instructed to take care of the family's pigs. Yep. He was also uh, sent to steal acorns from uh, the landowner's estate to feed the family. Uh, and apparently his stepmother was a bit was quite cruel uh, and would often beat him. Like so Cinderella. He's not having the best time um, at the moment, really. When he was about six, it gets a little bit worse, a, a man on horseback came to, to his family and he, Marcos retells him. He says, like, this man was chatted to his dad and then the man took Marcos away to a big house. And the man would tell Marcos that his father had sold him and Marcos would now work for this man, uh, tending his herd of 300 goats. So, apparently... Wait, had his dad sold him? Or was he just stolen? No, he, he sold him. Oh, my God. So, apparently, it was quite common at this time for children from poor families to be sent to the mountains to look after sheep and goats in exchange for money. But So, lots of boys would sort of work in the hills and sleep in the hills. But it outright selling seems much less common. So he's had it rough. Sorry, this is I realise this is a sad story. Yeah. Um this man took so took him up looked into the mountains to a deep uh, cave in the Sierra Morena, uh, which is a mount, a mounting range. Mm-hmm. And um, wolves and boars live them but live there. I don't know, I keep messing my words. Live but, <laughs> but not many people live there. So Marcus was under the care of an elderly shepherd. And oh. this elderly shepherd sort of taught him how to light fires, lay traps, that sort of thing. Marcus he was just left in the mountains. With this old man to sort of take care of these goats. Marcus uh, was sleeping outside with her at this time. And um, soon after he'd first gone up there, so he's, he's about six at this time. A, the shepherd went off to shoot a rabbit, a rabbit and never returned. So... Oh, my gosh. And that was that. The um, the landlord would apparently come up every now and again to check on the goats, but Marcus would hide from him. Um, he said that even in my worst moments, I preferred the mountains to the thought of home. So I'm not sure if the landlord knew that he was alive. I think that maybe the landlord thought the shepherd and him of died somewhere, gone off somewhere. But why did he not send anyone else up then to look after the goats? Um, I'm not sure, actually. Maybe he did. But he would go up and check on the goats. Yeah, okay. But I think this happened quite quickly by the sounds of it. So Marcos decided he was going to, at the age of six, or whatever mm-hmm. it was, try and live live up there in the mountains. Yeah, I think there's not really that, that decision for a kid of that age. He's not like, oh... Where shall I live now? What shall I do? He's more just like, right, I'll get on. Yeah. If you know what I mean. Yeah, because he, he doesn't have really the experience. He doesn't know exactly. Are. Yeah. So he would try and catch food like mm-hmm. pheasants and fish, um, and he would even try to suck milk from the goats. Oh. <laughs> and that would make oh. you queasy. But he was struggling basically. He was I'm having very surprised. little success doing this. Um. And I think this is really fascinating because I think I'd probably give up at some point during this. If I'm struggling to eat and the goats aren't giving me any milk, I would probably be like, the only other option I know is to go back to the house. But he was so determined not to go down 
back to this house that he stayed stayed up there. He uh. he watched how the boars dug under the ground for nutrients and how birds picked berries from bushes. So he's sort of watching the animals and learning how they're yeah. doing it. He had some knowledge of traps, like I said, and he began to realise that when he trapped rabbits, if he gutted them in the river, the blood would attract fish. Really? Um, and as he Also a good idea because then he's not leaving it on the side for it to get infected with flies yeah. and other people to come, other yeah. animals. As he grew older, Marcus also learned how to hunt and skin deer. I think that was a little bit later, but that's just something I read. So he seemed to be doing okay, generally. Um, he was surviving, he was still only about six or seven, and that was when he first encountered wolves. So, he was looking for a shelter from a storm when he stumbled across a den. What would you do if you stumbled across a den of wolves? I'd probably back away, slowly. Yes, I think that's sort of instinct. Yeah. Or conditioning, because he, well, he didn't really know anything, so... He didn't know the danger, so he went in and slept next to the pups of um, of the wolves. Yeah, I guess he's a child. He doesn't have a clue. Yeah. Um, the she-wolf had been out hunting. She came back, and she growled at him and snarled at him. But instead of attacking him, she actually gave him a little piece of meat. Mm-hmm. Rodriguez claims that he did not only live amongst the wolves, which sort of happened as a result of that, but also befriended foxes and snakes. Oh, I wouldn't want to befriend a snake. I had he... a nightmare about one the other day. <laughs> he did not like the wild boar. That was his enemy, his arch enemy. Just like a wolf. He apparently communicated through grunts and howls and half-remembered words. Um, so obviously... He's can... obviously since learned to speak then. Yes. But obviously... Um... I don't know. People, people have have questioned this. People often question this. Like, do, how can you actually befriend a snake or a wolf or? But it's for me. It's only like us communicating with somebody who's deaf or somebody who's blind. You can't communicate in the same way, but you you get around it. But I think, but yeah, but it's different because these are like wild animals. This is a snake. He's just. Yeah, why would a snake no, be No, but I think, a... I think that they can communicate in a certain way. And I also think that he lives in the wild. He's not a threat. Yeah, that is actually something there. that comes into it uh, later on. So it was early 1965. Mm-hmm. So he'd been born in uh, 1946. 46. And that was when a park ranger in the Sierra Morena reported to police that he'd seen a man with long hair dressed in deer skin roaming the area. So three officers were sent up to find him, I think, and they did. Um, and he was eating fruit under a tree deep in inside the mountains. They tried to talk to him, but he hadn't spoken in twelve years, so he ran. They got up also, to him quite Also, he easily. might not even recognise humans anymore. Apparently, because it's been that long. He did. Oh, right, okay. I think, but they caught up to him and took him away from the mountain to a nearby town. Uh, when Caliente. Good pronunciation. Thank you. Uh, and they took it to a barber shop. First, first thing, and he said, "I was sitting in the chair, and I remember looking in the mirror and wondering who was staring back at me." Maybe he didn't recognize people. No, that's what didn't I mean. Didn't recognize you, you don't have mirrors in the wild. The only glimpse he's going to get of himself is when he looks down or in water. Yeah. The barber got a razor, and Marcos panicked and lunged at him. 
I thought it was either him or me instead. I thought the, the barber was about to attack him. Yeah, I'm not surprised. So Marcos was put in jail in Cardania. Oh, Cardania. I never know how to say that. And the police actually trapped down his father and offered him back, but his father was indifferent to him. So the police decided, oh, he hasn't. Bro- I guess he hasn't broken any laws, really. Yeah. So they left him in the main square of Cardania just to... What? Just to oh, you can't just leave him, him there. Um, two shepherds took him in, and a few days later, Marcus back in the mountains looking after animals. In spring 1966, a man named Juan Luis Galvez encountered Marcus. Even though he'd been found a whole year ago, basically, Marcus had had little interaction with humans because uh, he's still sort of now he's mm-hmm. working in the mountains again. He's not living deep in the in the mountains, from what I can tell, with the animals. He's sort of looking after animals. Um, Marcus had, um, like I said, a little interaction with humans and was scared and una- unable to speak. Um, he was seemingly immune to the cold. He walked with the hunched, bow-legged, how do you say that word, gait yeah. of a monkey. Um, and uh, Marcos actually moved in with uh, Galvez and his family. Um, and how come? I don't know. I'm not entirely, it's not entirely clear why that happened, but yeah. event- he obviously convinced him to move in, or at least stay there temporarily. And Marcos was taught to dress himself. He was taught to eat properly uh, and pronounce words. He was also encouraged to play football with local kids. Uh, Marcos said, I would try to run back to the mountains whenever I could. I didn't feel comfortable among humans. There's a risk, though, that the longer you keep him out, he probably won't adapt, adapt to human life, and the old life will change as well. So yeah, like, so he, he might older. not get accepted back by the wolves. He'll yeah. come back with a different smell or something. And yeah, we we age completely differently, don't we, to other animals. So yeah. He would have struggled, I feel, if he'd lived there, you know, into his forties, into his fifties, maybe. Uh, Rodriguez was surprised by everything in in the I'm human really world. I'm really not surprised. Uh, <laughs> a glass of wine, a cigarette, a broom. There's a story about a time he woke up in. Um, I don't know if this is in Galvez's house, but in a house. Um, and he heard voices coming from the radio in his room. And there was nobody else in the room. And he thought people were, in, were trapped inside the box. And he panicked. Uh, um, and he couldn't find a way to let them out. And so he told them to move to one side and he smashed the radio. But when it smashed, he couldn't find the people inside it. And thinking that he'd killed them, he ran to his bed where he hid for the rest of the day. Oh. It's really sad, that isn't is it? That is so sad. Um, when he first went to the cinema, he watched a western. He ran out terrified of the cowboys galloping towards the camera. Eating in a restaurant for the first time, he was surprised he had to pay for food. Um, his friend had told him God lived at church, and so he went, and he approached the priest and said, they tell me you're God, they tell me you know everything. Um, He's so cute. It's just strange. It's when You never really think that if you... It must hadn't interacted at all with the world, then you wouldn't, you just wouldn't know anything. And it must be difficult to try and raise him as a child when he's a grown man, and he should be doing things. And you, you wouldn't like, you wouldn't be like cooing at him like, oh, goody goo, like, oh, he's a big boy. <gasps> Someone just said his first word and all no, that. Would be like, well, he's, a, he's an adult yeah, man, but it's but just, it's just, so he's not got the same learning as they develop, like young, yeah, the young do, yeah, the youngsters. 
He uh, it was eventually sent to a convent infirmary, and the doctors cut the calluses from his feet, placed a board on his back so he'd stand up straight, and uh, continued to teach him language. Real a board on his back. Oh. It was yeah. It was the sixties. <laughs> uh, he could understand language, um, but he struggled to speak and pronounce words himself, having not used it for twelve years. Yeah, he probably wouldn't have used his voice box as much. Yeah, there's something especially, but he did. You know, he lived for six years, so he did know Spanish. Um, but there are a lot of feral children who, are maybe, are younger when they you know go and live in the wild. Um, brought up in the wild and their actual you know their voice cords or whatever it is they don't they're develop not, yeah. the same because they're not using it for this no but for i think words. even when you don't like it's like if you're an old person and you get taken into hospital that is probably like you're getting treatment but that is the worst place for you to be because you deteriorate so much there's no coming back from that so if you're like so if we're a person now and we're laying in a hospital bed and we're not using our legs for like six months we lose all muscles so it's like the same so he didn't use his voice for like however long like 15 years whatever um it's like the same it doesn't work the same yeah he um went to work he worked on construction sites he had a stint in the military did a bit of military service but he uh, shot his gun in a training drill and almost came, killed a member of his platoon i'm not him. surprised who thought it was a good idea not to sure. put him in the military um it seems i'm going to sort of brush over a lot of this but it seems like he was exploited a lot by people as well yeah. during his time um but because he was completely unaware of the world and everything in it people took advantage he didn't know the question uh one example when he was in hospital um I think that's when he went back to, after the after a few jobs he went back to the convent hospital I think he met a patient who said we should go to Mallorca this tourist boom is happening there with loads of Europeans coming and there's going to be lots of work there so him and the guy went and when they got there the guy stole his suitcase and the money that the nuns had given him um, and he was stranded in a hostel and that is horrible. thankfully the nuns had rang ahead to let the local constabu- constabulary know that he was arriving and so he wasn't arrested but he was actually put to work he'd uh, work later as a, an assistant chef he'd work as a barman as a bricklayer and a road sweeper he didn't really understand money and was underpaid and exploited by bosses why couldn't he just go back to living in the wild then i'm not sure I don't know. This is a deprivation of liberty. This is not this his is, choice. We, I think I speak, speak, speak a little bit about that in a minute. He, uh, he actually sold marijuana at a bar without realising his boss uh, had told him that it was stomach medicine. And people would come to the bar asking for medicine and he'd hand it over. He did a lot of other jobs and now he lives in uh, Galicia, Galicia, in northwest Spain, which is a little hamlet. Uh, he likes to walk in the countryside and go to the bar and hunt wild boar. And he also loves watching daytime TV. So he's still alive. I think the most recent interview I read with him was like a couple of months ago or something. So he's still knocking about. So, is it true, the story? I think so. Why would it not be? Um, Well, it was in Mallorca in 1975 that Rodriguez was introduced to Gabriel Hannah Manila. Manila? Manila. Manila, the anthropologist who would go on to produce the most significant study of his life in the wild and its effect on his subsequent development. So, um, 
uh, Manila said this uh, in this interview that I read. Here was this fragile looking childish man who was telling me the most incredible tales. And I admit that I struggled to believe him. Uh, however, the more that me Manila heard of the story, the more credible it seemed. And the pair met every day for six months, pretty much. Uh, and I noticed that his story never varied, the facts never changed, no matter how many times I asked him to tell it, no matter how many times I asked him to clarify something. This is he wrote P, he wrote his PhD thesis on such a good topic on this. Um, and Manila, uh, is that his name? Yeah. He um he did some intel intelligence tests on Rodriguez and found that he had no learning disabilities. Instead, he concluded that his emotional and social development had remained frozen at the time in his childhood when he was abandoned. Um, and rather than learning the rules of human interaction, he idealised life amongst the animals. Apparently now, even now, he tries to apply to social life the rules he observed during his life in the mountains, which is mm -hmm. something I mentioned quite near the end, which is, it gets a little bit sadder. Like, okay. it's quite sad, but... Yeah. It just sort of, I don't know. It's it's just quite a sad tale because I'll tell you in a minute. But um, also, did he speak to the animals? Is a question that's come up a lot because, mm -hmm. as I said, speaking to snakes, that sort of thing seems a bit strange. I don't think he spoke to them, but I think he communicated. There's um, a man named Jose España. España. I said España in the last three episodes. I feel. Um, and he's a biologist and a specialist in wolf behaviour hmm. um, and he knows of Rodriguez and he says that um, it's possible for wolves and humans to coexist but do I believe this is a quote do I believe that every time he called the wolves they came to him as he says he says that's debatable he says, I think they will have done they, they will have adapted as well it's not just about him adapting the wolves. They've got brains. They've got no, exactly. They'll understand his call. He says that Marcos would have been a periphery wolf, so they would have come to him when he had food, and he he would have been tolerated um, because he posed no threat to them. So he wouldn't have been actually in part of the, part of the group. He may have. He may think but that. He may he, interpret I think it he that way. That, but also, how could he be part of the the main no, group? No, exactly. But. He may interpret him, he think that I was part of this um, pack, but in actual fact, they treated him as a periphery member. When he had food, that's great. And he's also not going to take our food so we can be near him, essentially, but not in this, not as close as maybe he thinks they were, which is fair enough. Still lived amongst them. Um, the, um, what's he called, the guy? Manila. Uh, also says that as a young boy he would have projected his social needs onto the animals and imagined relationships with them. So every time he sort of said like the fox was laughing at him or he had to tell off the snake he believes that but that's how he had to explain it to himself. That he had these oh, social right, relationships right, yeah, to yeah. them. Um, yeah so that's sort of a little bit sad in a way. Yeah. That he, Maybe that's why he was brought down into human civilization to give him that them relationships. Yeah. But it sounds like he's on his own. Yeah. Um. Well, actually, in his when he goes to this bar and he's 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 quite like funny and stuff apparently. 
Oh, good. In his hometown. And he goes hunting with a friend. Oh, okay. Marble. I'm, a, I'm not sure if the friend is a wolf or if it's... Mm. I'm assuming it's a human. <laughs> um, so, Rodriguez's case, his, his story, was um, not really believed, basically, for a long time. I'm not surprised. Um, there was also little... Um, appetite for talking about this neglect as well that had gone on you know in it, it, after the civil war during the civil war when it was so poor and the extremes that families went to to you know survive this family sold the child into labor in the in the what, what you know the 50s 40s yeah. 50s um and it wasn't until recently that people have sort of began to look at that began to accept that um, and confront it. Um, she's some, tells something about Spain as well at the time, I guess. Um, but since it's sort of become embraced that his story is probably true, um, people have began to write to him from all over the world. He gets messages. Some people want to understand him. Some people want his advice. Aww. Some people want to take care of him. So it's quite like a mix of Good and bad, I feel yeah. like, this letter sending. Schools have asked him to visit, to tell his story to pupils. He gets journalists coming all the time asking for his story. Um, and he said that there's a queue outside as long as the one at a benefits office, apparently. Um, and he could not understand why his story could be met, be met with complete indifference for decades, only to make him famous now, after uh, Manila wrote about it. Yeah, it's like been, it, Manila wrote about forty years ago. People needed the validation. Yeah, um, and he said he just doesn't understand. Especially, he hasn't changed, um, and he, to him, all this newly discovered adulation seemed just another hurtful, incomprehensible quirk of the human mind. He looks back now with, at his time in the wild, in the mountains, as glorious. That's how he describes it. Hmm. Um, He, al- he always found it hard to relate to humans who were baffled by his ignorance and infuriated by his inability to communicate. Um, but he could never apparently understand what was expected of him as a human either. Yeah. Which is quite... I just think it's a bit sad. That it's really sad. I don't know that... He was he was fine, you know, in, in the mountains... Obviously, it's quite dangerous, but he was... He survived. And he that became his home, and then he got taken from that, and he's been transplanted into our society. Yeah. And he's not adapted to... Well, he's tried to adapt to it. Yeah, yeah. But... Um, yeah, it's tough. It's been a... Yeah, strange one. I've actually got a movie corner for you, though. <gasps> Go on. Gerardo Olivieras uh, released a film in 2010 called... Entrelebus, uh, English, is Among Wolves. And this is a, a, f- a romanticised depiction of um, our boy Marcos's life in the mountains. Um, apparently, Rodriguez said that some details were missing, but I do like it. I watch it all the time, especially when I'm sad or can't get to sleep. Oh. Uh, and then Oliv- uh, Ali- Oliveras, um, the director, also went on to make a documentary about Rodriguez called Marcos El Lobo Solitario, 
what does that mean? Something about solitary on your own? Yeah. Um, Might mean wolves, solitary wolves. Oh, right. Um, oh, yeah, Lobo, yeah. So, um. That's so cute how he watches that to get to sleep. <laughs> but that is the Wolfman of Sierra Marina. Um, oh, which, so cute. I don't know, it's, it is just quite underlying sadness. Of that is, one, I think. Yeah. Because he didn't pick that life. He didn't basically no. didn't pick anything. He didn't pick to be abandoned. He didn't pick to leave the wolves. He didn't pick to live among wolves. But he's still okay. He's doing yeah, okay. Yeah, he's doing good. He watches his loves, film. Loves daytime TV. <laughs> Can't get enough of it. How old is he now then? He's um, quite old then, isn't he? Born in 1946. So it'll be 72. Or so, I believe. Yeah, 71, 72. Yeah, there he is. That's what I was just about to do, find a picture of him. Oh, he's so cute. That's him hugging a wolf. I think he had a relationship with the wolves. How can you say that's not a relationship? It's just a picture of him hugging a wolf. Um, yeah, he's 72 years old. Oh, what a good egg. He was 19 when he returned to civilization. So hmm. they're, and they're like your formative years, really, aren't they? Yeah. From 6 to, you know, 19. 7 to 19. Yeah. So that's our um, episode. Another one bites the dust, as they say. <laughs> what? Um, thank you for listening. Yes, thank you. Next week we have a report for you. Two reports about pioneering women oh. in cinema. Is yep. that right? Yep. Good. Um, so we'll bring that to you next week. So stay tuned for that. If you want to get in contact with us, you can. Um, at Idiot History Pod on Twitter and at Idiots Talk History on Facebook and Instagram. Um, send us an email at idiothistorypod at gmail.com. What are you shaking your head at? Nothing, you'll just get yourself in a little know, confusion whirl every They're time. all in the uh, show notes below. You can find all of those. Yeah. As well as our individual Twitters if you want to tell us anything about the Wolfman of Sierra Morena. Or if you know any other wolf men. Or if you know any other old whales. Um, and please leave, leave us a review if possible. Mm-hmm. That would be spiffing. Thanks for listening this far in as well. Yes, with all the plugs you. and all. And um, tell a friend. Yeah, and right. We'll speak to you next week. <laughs> bye. Bye bye bye.